Welcome to Gateway's Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Thank you guys so much for leading us this morning. We're so grateful for you and our worship team and all that you guys do week after week. We've titled this um, sermon series Summer Playlist because you can think of many of these psalms as Hebrew songs. They contain lyrics and poetry and verses and even some refrains and repeated statements. They're each unique and uh, they're different genres of psalms. And uh, you can think of these this summer as God's playlist for us. So songs for us to listen to this summer to encourage us to challenge us, to stretch us, to grow us. Every week, we're going to stop and we're going to listen to what God has to say. I love that we're studying the Psalms this summer. The Psalms, as Don said last week, teach us how to talk with God. They teach us about the majesty and glory and power and care and goodness and faithfulness of God. They reveal his character and provoke us to worship. The Psalms cover almost every spectrum of human emotion and the human experience. The psalmist felt joy and exaltation, but they also experienced fear and longing and loneliness. King David himself in Psalm 13 felt forgotten by God. He asked questions like, why do I feel alone in Psalm 25? How do I make it through another day in Psalm 42? God, why do I feel ignored by you? In Psalm 22, the Psalms are a beautiful place in which God's majesty and character come face to face with our deepest human needs. They're worthy of our study and they're worthy of our time this summer. Today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis, who was an Oxford professor of English literature and author, said once, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. This psalm answers some really important questions for us. For example, do you ever find yourself wondering and just wishing, God, would you just say something to me? God, do you still speak? Do you ever wonder if God is there? Do you ever think to yourself, if God would just speak to me, if I could only hear from him today, then I'll be okay. David says, let me show you. God is speaking. He's speaking his grace and his glory and his care and his love for you every single moment of every single day. There's no need to wonder this morning if you're alone in the universe. There's no need to wonder if you're alone in your life today. God speaks. It is resounding. But then the question becomes then, are we listening? Are we listening to what God has to say? Psalm 19 begins with this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, and this is my first point, David tells us, if we want to hear God speak, then look up. If we want to hear God speak, then look up. Can't you just see David staring at the stars as he's writing this? Now, let me ask you a question this morning. Part of this is just to make me feel a little bit better. How many of you have spent some time this week mindlessly scrolling through Facebook or YouTube or other social media videos? 
Come on now, be real. The, okay, the folks raising their hands, there are honest people in the room here. Uh, I don't know if you've ever found yourself, you know, mindlessly scrolling through hours and hours of videos and all of a sudden you turn around, there's a little bit of drool on your face and you realize you've just learned 57 ways to peel garlic without using your hands. But I, I found myself in a rabbit hole like that a few weeks ago. But the rabbit hole was entitled Great Art Explained. And now I consider myself now this morning a leading expert in the world of art history and the art movement. It is genuinely fascinating to look at a piece of art and see the artist's imprint on their work. The way the artist speaks through the thought in which they use perspective and scale and lines and colors to communicate something through their artwork. It communicates to us. Artwork speaks to us of the artist. And just like a great artist, but even more so, according to Psalm 19, God speaks to us through the creative works of his hand. His signature is literally imprinted, imprinted everywhere in the natural world and on his piece of art. It communicates to us. Verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 19 are all about communication, declaring, proclaiming, knowledge. God is speaking through the natural world. Again, can't you just see David staring up at the night sky as he writes these words? One summer, I took a mission trip to Belize with a group of students, and we had one extra day to spend on the trip. And so we spent some time a few miles out into the ocean at this resort that was on an island. And now as youth pastor, I took it very seriously, like the safety of my students. And so, you know, I would always have like a timeline where you need to be in bed, in your room, doors locked. And I sort of considered it a badge of honor to be the last one standing in the evening so that I knew that everyone was in their room and everyone was safe. And I was on patrol one evening and sure enough, I see a group of guys sneaking out their room and heading to a dock over nearby. And so I'm like, oh, this is my chance. I walk over, ready to bust them, ready to say, you guys are in trouble. What are you doing out of your rooms? And then I see what they're doing. And they're laying with their backs on the dock and they're looking up into the night sky. And I realize, here's what they're doing. There's no light pollution out this far in the ocean. And they're literally just sitting there staring at the stars. And so I sit there and I join them. And for two hours, we're just staring at the stars, barely saying a word, sometimes going, whoa, did you, did you see that? Did you see the falling star? Did you guys catch that? We're just staring at it. It's one of the most memorable experiences of my entire life. This is what David is seeing in Psalm 19. But David doesn't just simply go, whoa. He looks up and he goes, whoa, God, God did this. God made this. The creator is saying something to us. David says day after day and night after night, God's creation is speaking like a spring gushing forth from the ground or like a river pouring into the sea. It's always around us and he's always communicating. Whether you're looking at the stars at night or a flower that most recently bloomed, Creation is speaking about who God is. Literally since the beginning of time, we've heard this testimony of God. Look at verse three. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. This message that God is speaking, ironically, is a message in which he doesn't use words. The psalmist says there's no voice. It has no speech, and yet it still communicates something. This is nonverbal communication. 
God's creation is his great picture book. It's, he's speaking visually. And this message that he's speaking actually transcends geography and ethnicity and language and culture and every other barrier. Anyone can see it. Now, what message is God speaking through the universe he created? What is God declaring and proclaiming? Well, first I want you to see that he's saying there is a creator. There is a creator. Do you ever wonder why if you see and hear the ocean roaring or you see the beauty of a sunrise or sunset over the dam on Lake Murray, why these things fill us with such joy and wonder and grandeur and awe, why they actually take your breath away when you look at them? Everything in nature is saying to you, you are not an accident. You are a product of intentional design, of creativity, of imagination, of passion. Life is meaningful and significant. Why? Because there's a creator behind it all. The other week, Don introduced some of our staff to a couple of people who've been members of our church for over 10 years now. And this couple, they're two of the the most brilliant yet humble people that I've ever met in my entire life. They spent their entire careers in the science of, of satellites and earth imagery, but they've actually dedicated their retirement years in looking up at the stars. They actually took the pictures I'm about to show you with their own equipment, which is a big feat considering the nebula you're about to look at are light years away. A nebula, by the way, is just a cloud of, of gas and space dust. One important note about these images that you're gonna see is the colors haven't been changed. I don't know if you know this, but Hubble and the James Webb Telescope, they take what is seen and they actually add color to it to make it look more interesting, but none of these colors have been tweaked. Uh, And so what you're about to see is actually what they see in the telescope. This first picture is uh, of a nebula called the Horsehead Nebula. You can see why it's called that on your screen. The Horsehead Nebula you're looking at is 1,350 light years away. Now, one light year is 5.87 trillion miles. And this is 1,350 light years away, which is crazy if you think about it. But what's really mind-blowing is that we're actually looking back in time in this picture because it took 1,350 years for light to get from this nebula to the telescope. And so we're actually looking back in time at the light that began 1,350 years ago. The next nebula you're gonna look at is the Seagull Nebula. I love these names because they perfectly represent what you see on the screen. Now this nebula is 3,800 light years away, which means you're looking at light that emanated from this nebula 1,800 years before Jesus walked this earth. The last picture is one of my favorites. It's called the Christmas tree nebula. Do you see the little Christmas tree at the bottom right-hand side of your screen? But it's not necessarily the Christmas tree that strikes me in this photo. Look at the number of stars that you see in this picture. These are just pictures of small slivers of the night sky that you can't really even see with your naked eye. When you look up one clear night, you might see millions of stars, but then you realize there's a hundred billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. 
And then you start doing the math in your head and you realize how many galaxies there actually are out there, maybe in the hundreds of billions. The truth is we don't really know. That doesn't even do it justice because there's no way to know how many stars and how many galaxies there are because the universe just keeps going and going and going and we keep just discovering more and more. We should see this complexity and the vastness of the universe as a testimony to the fact that there is a creator. There's just way too much material, way too much matter in space for there not to be a creator and for it to have come through some kind of uh, explosion like the Big Bang. As my friend told me who sent me these images, explosions vaporize and destroy. They don't create. God also speaks of his existence as our creator through the fine tuning of the universe. Change one constant in our universe like gravity and we cease to exist. For all of these constants and factors to line up, for it to be random and yet all fall into perfect order is mathematically impossible. Science is actually beginning to contradict its own theories of how the universe came into existence. The James Webb Telescope, which looks further than we've ever been able to see before with any other instrument, it's, what it found was actually shocking. It found galaxies that were too large and too old to support our current scientific theories of how the world existed and began. It just doesn't make sense to our current theories. Here's what Paul makes clear in Romans 1 for us all. In verse 20, God, his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. We have no excuse. God has revealed himself. He has literally painted it all over the universe. If we can't hear him, are we really listening? Are we paying attention? Are we ignoring our creator? I love this illustration that I saw a pastor use about Mount Rushmore. Imagine, you know, going to Mount Rushmore and turning around the bend and seeing these four large figures that are carved into the rock face. These four heads in which the mouth is 18 feet wide. The nose is 20 feet long. Uh, they're, they're designed to the scale to be 465 feet tall if they were actually complete humans, but it's just the heads. Imagine now the sculptor, John Borglum, which is an unfortunate name. Imagine him standing by, you know, having finished 14 years of work and a tour bus comes along and people get out and they ooh and ah and they take pictures and they see this uh, magnificent creation. And imagine him watching them as they begin to, to be surprised and postulate how in the world, uh, how long would it have taken for the forces of nature to create these amazing sculptures? Can you imagine? I mean, imagine them giving the, the rock faces your know, self-designing ability. And then just before he faints, they start to give the mountain and nature the praise and the glory for what he had done. Psalm 14, one says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The heavens cry out to the world. There is a creator. There is a God. But it also speaks of his glory, of his glory. The size of the universe and the vastness and the power that it would have taken to create this speaks and testifies of God's glorious nature, his majesty, and his power. Glory just simply means weight and importance. Whatever you give weight to or significance to, you're ascribing it glory. 
When you look up and you're overwhelmed at the beauty of God's creation and the greatness of the skies, you're supposed to say something and learn something and read something about God himself, namely his glory. The heavens are declaring the significance, the importance, literally the weight of who God is, of how big God is. Let me ask you, is your view of God this morning worthy of who the heavens say that he is? Have you become so familiar with the created things of God that you've forgotten how glorious God himself actually is? Uh, Are you like the guy who maybe lives in Hawaii and he wakes up every day and he sees the beauty so much that he's so familiar with it that he takes it for granted? Today, I want you to wake up. I want you to look up and I want you to see who God is. The heavens preach that there's a creator. The heavens preach that he's unimaginably more more glorious than we could ever imagine. And then last but not least, the heavens also declare his grace. Look at verse 4b. He talks about the sun. In them, the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from his heat. Through this figurative language, David is saying the sun and the earth are exactly where God wants them to be. He set their circuit, he set their track, located 93.2 million miles from the earth. If we were to move any closer to the sun, we'd be scorched any further away and we'd be frozen. It's exactly where God wants it to be. And then the existence and placement of the sun is a gracious gift to everyone who experiences it on this planet. David says it's not only a gracious gift, but it's reliable. It comes up and down every day. We can depend on its regularity. Like an athlete running its course, it's full of joy, and it runs with joy and exuberance. Every single person, no, really every single creature on this planet depends on the sun for life and for its existence. What a great picture of God's common grace to this earth and to our world. Every one of us on this planet, as we feel the warmth of the sun, We should be reminded of God's grace and his joy in creation. It's a great reminder of that. Now, here's where Psalm 19 takes an interesting turn. When it says, the law of the Lord revives the soul. Psalm Psalm 19 takes an interesting turn here, but it's actually the whole entire buildup of what we've been talking about this morning. It seems like it doesn't connect. It seems like it doesn't belong. It seems like it's out of place, but David's absolutely being intentional to kind of turn towards God's word. And we've been building up to this the entire time. See, God speaks through his creation, but it's not enough to show us what it means to be saved how to live for him, and most importantly, creation doesn't tell us about his son, Jesus, and the good news of the gospel. Creation is a book of pictures, but the Bible, God's word, is a book of words. Creation tells you that there's a creator, but the Bible tells you the creator's name. Creation tells you that there's gotta be a designer in all of this, but the Bible tells you that there's also a redeemer. In fact, God will change his reference, David will change his reference to God here in Psalm 19. From a generic name for God, El, not even Elohim, El, it's the most generic names for God in the Bible, to now Yahweh, and he'll refer to God as Yahweh, which means Jehovah or Lord. It's this personal covenant-making God who's at work redeeming the earth. 
What David is saying in this contrast between creation and the word of God is he's saying, look, as glorious as creation is, as incredible as it is that God made the skies and the stars, as wonderful as those things are, what is equally as glorious and wonderful is that we have the word of God revealed through the scriptures. Do you believe that this morning? If you're going to leave here this morning, I don't want you to just leave in awe of like the work in the skies and God's work in creation. I want you to, to be in awe that this God of the universe, this God that created everything, would also tell him about ourselves, that he would be revealed in his word, that he would specifically tell us about his son and how we can be redeemed and saved and rescued from our sin. I want you to be in awe of that this morning, that we have the specific clear, sufficient word of God that we can read every single day, that he would make himself known and his plans for redeeming the world, that he wants a relationship with us through Jesus, that we can read about what he's like and his character, that he rescued us from our sin and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Are you in awe of God's perfect word this morning? Do you treasure the word of God? Do you seek it out? David tells us if we want to hear God speak, we need to look up but if we want to hear God speak, we also need to look down at his word. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. David speaks line after line about what the Bible is and what the Bible does. And do you notice like every line has the beginning of what the Bible is? For example, the law of the Lord is perfect, and then he follows it with what the Bible does, reviving the soul. And I wish we had time to go into detail on every one of these, but I just want to cover a few with you today. First of all, what is the Bible? The law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete. Our Bibles are theologically sound, perfect, and completely true in everything it says. This word is sufficient for us to have everything we need to know about God and his creation and salvation. Now, what does it do? It revives the soul. In other words, God's, God's word brings you back. It brings us from, from death to life through the message of Jesus, but also it takes us from a place in a, a dry and weary land where there's no water to streams of living water that flow. The Bible brings us back. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how deep you've fallen, God has given you a map to return to fellowship with him, to return to who he made you to be. It's all through the living word of God. Getting back to nature doesn't do that. We can only discover these things by getting back to God's word. Next verse, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. You can trust what his word says. Then what does it do? It gives wisdom to the simple. That word, the simple, the simple means a lot of things in the Bible. It can mean foolish, certainly. But it can also just mean young and lacking in experience. The Bible has the ability to take whoever you are and to give you the wisdom you need to live in this world the way he intended you to live. 
He can do that if we're just simple, if we're, if we're willing to admit and be open and have the humility to say, God, I don't know everything about how this world works, but you do. God, teach me. Teach me what it looks like to live wisely at my school. Teach me what it looks like to live wisely at work, in my marriage, in my family. Lord, make me wise, even though at heart I'm young and inexperienced in this world. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. In other words, the principles of God's word are always good advice. Scripture will never lead us astray. We don't have to be ashamed of the truth and principles of scripture. We can trust it. And then notice what it leads to. It leads to joy. God doesn't give us a bunch of rules and boundaries and things to live by to rob us of joy. He actually gives us the Bible to lead us to a greater joy than we can ever imagine, to lead us to contentment and satisfaction and peace. In all these things, God shows us what it looks like to live with true joy. He's not trying to rob us of anything. He's trying to lead us to joy. It rejoices the heart. Finally, then, look at verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. I love this, gold and honey. God's word is a great treasure to those who love him. It's to be desired more than all the gold that this world has to offer. Its words are like honey. They're, they're sweet tasting to our spiritual senses and nourishing to our spiritual lives. I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip for not opening up the Bible this morning. That's the last thing I wanna do. But some of you have neglected the word of God and it's actually the very place in which you could find life and joy today. And it's not because the intention is just for you to read the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible. The intention to read the Bible is so that you can be changed by it as you encounter the God of the Bible that reveals himself in this word. A.W. Tozer reminds us of this in his book, The Pursuit of God, where he says, the Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him and that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. If you want to know God this morning, if you want to hear him speak, if you want to know God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know him through these words revealed by the Holy Spirit. Are you making room for scripture reading in your life? Meditate on this word. Memorize this word. It's a great treasure for us to experience. Men and women of Gateway, we want to help you on this journey. One of the things we're going to be launching this fall are what we call discipleship groups or D groups. And you're going to hear more about this. They're small groups of three to five, just single gender groups meant to hold each other accountable for the weekly reading of scripture and the daily reading of scripture. Uh, groups in which they'll, you'll pray together, you'll read the Bible together, you'll help one another, you'll hold each other accountable. Would you maybe pray and consider being a part of one of these groups in the fall? Maybe would you pray and consider leading a group like that? Or you can just partner with some friends, some people you already know that might uh, love some accountability for just reading God's word and being in it every single week. Maybe today your Bible is just dusty. It's just sitting on your shelf and it's been a while since you picked it up. Maybe God is calling you this morning to open it up and to discover what he's saying about himself. Or maybe just simply do like a verse of the day at dinner with your family. Maybe he's asking you just to take a moment out of your time to talk about it with your kids and with your spouse. 
Not out of guilt, not out of checking a box, but with an open heart and an open mind to say, God, I know this word is meant to nourish me. I know it's meant to grow me, to revive me, to give me life, to give me wisdom, to restore my soul. God, would you use it in my life? I'll be faithful to read it. Would you use it and show me the wonder of your word? We look up at creation. We look down at the word. And then finally, when God speaks, it should call us to look within ourselves. That's what David does in verse 11 through 14. I love how David ends this psalm, and we're going to end our time together with this. Look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And this is a familiar verse to us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When we see God in his glory and his greatness and perfection, and we see his character and holiness in his word, it causes us to see the sinfulness in our own hearts, to look within and, and see our errors, even the way that we have hidden faults that only the Lord sees. This prayer, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight is an absolutely impossible task for our sinful selves. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart are not always pleasing to the Lord, which means we need a savior. We need a redeemer to rescue us from those things. Since Jesus was acceptable in God's sight, we can be saved. Since he was innocent, he could be a perfect sacrifice for us and take the penalty for our sins. When we look within, as we read God's word, it points us to Jesus, the greatest story of the Bible. We have a savior who took the punishment for our sin, forgave us by his sacrifice and rose again that we could live with him forever. David talks about the radiance and the glory and the grace of the sun in Psalm 19, but that's nothing compared to the radiance and greatness and glory of God's grace in his son that the Bible reveals and the glory of the good news of the gospel that God has revealed to us in his word. We're out of time this morning. We would love for you to walk you through what that means in your own life, what it looks like to have faith in Christ and to be rescued from your sin and to live for him. Uh, I would love for you to fill out a connect card today if you want to talk about what that means. You want us to pray for you this morning that you'd have a heart for God's word, that he would develop in you a love for his word. We want to pray for that for you. I'd love for you to fill out a connect card this morning. We'd love to follow up with you this week. And let's spend a moment before we worship again, praying to God and asking him to move in our lives.